Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we loving, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we loving, it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish I wish. Hey, cats and kittens. How you doing tonight? Oh, this afternoon we have an early show. I'm sorry. Old habits die hard. It's an earlier show today. We're trying something new. We're mixing it up. Let me know how you feel. Um, sorry to the West Coasters who are still fully in the middle of their work day. My apologies, but I'm going to a baseball game this evening, so I hope you don't mind too much. We had a real bar burner of an episode today. Two of my favorite cultural critics, Freddie DeBoer and Pascal Robert. I thought they acquitted, acquitted themselves beautifully with some difficult subject matter. And you should definitely check out This Is Revolution podcast if you are not already listening to and subscribing to that podcast. And also Freddie DeBoer's Substack. His eponymous Substack is absolutely terrific. His newsletter is great. And I'm always reading it for ideas about what to talk about on the podcast because I like someone who is willing to chew over issues that are difficult to Resolve. No easy answers here on the pod. It's been an interesting media week uh, in terms of lefty feuds. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I see some people in the chat talking about this morning's radar, and I appreciate um, the kind words. It was uh, a real privilege for you, but it kind of flipped something that was a little ugly that happened on the internet into a hopefully what was a bigger point about um, how we should continue to engage with each other and the benefits of doing so. And I'd like to do exactly that this afternoon with you on this podcast. So let's get started while the room fills up a little bit by listening to a clip from today's episode. This is the clip that I posted to Twitter. I will say, you know, that it's not necessarily so representative of the entire conversation. There wasn't a conversation about trans issues. And I was hesitant because you know, I would prefer to have, you know, trans people in the room when we're having these conversations, but it just keeps coming up because of the nature of the news cycle and the way conservatives keep foregrounding this issue. Of course, today's episode was really about Sam Adler Bell's, uh, 
article in New York Magazine about whether wokeness is uh, hurting the left, and he offers a definition of wokeness, which we talk about in the podcast, that really centers on, I think, two aspects that are under-discussed. One is this idea that every, uh, you know, we should be speaking to people who are already part of the choir and that basically trying to reach out to people who don't already understand is viewed as very suspect. And the language that we use is sometimes tailored in a way um, that is not intended to convince anybody. It's more about virtue signaling. Um, And the other is the extent to which it's a conversation that's attenuated from the material advocacy that we on the left tend to try to focus on and what is the line between throwing communities under the bus and tailoring language uh, in a way that makes you more understood to the broader base you need to actually bring about some of these broader changes that we are ostensibly advocating for in this space. Of course, in the context of that, we talked about the latest controversy with Lizzo and her lyrics. We can talk about that today if you'd like. There was on the day we recorded a Twitter brouhaha about an NPR tweet um, that used the term menstruating people instead of women that people took some issue with. And we can talk about that if you like. But let's start by viewing this clip and then I'll get to you guys in the queue. Yeah, but Freddie, I, I don't, I, I don't want Joe Biden fucking wandering into the territory. I'm, I'm again, you, like, but they're going to ask him. So why can't you just say what a woman is? That's going to be the response. I mean, I, I just there has to be a way to say, to express total uh, support for trans rights without appearing to tell the American people that it's not the case that most people are boys or girls, right? Men or women, right? Like most people are going to observe the world. Even people who are totally accepting of trans people say, yeah, there's some trans people, but most people in the world are cisgender men or or women. And they, for most people, their anatomical uh, reality matches their gender identity. And that's, and that's a thing. There's boys and girls, but also there's trans people and they're equally valid and we love and respect them and we respect our gender identity. I just, I don't give a fuck. It's, the, the definition of <laughs> biological sex is not important <laughs> to me. But I do think it's, it's exactly the kind of trap that Republicans are really good at setting for Democrats and then Democrats trip over their dick and, not, and are unable to answer the question. <laughs> Republicans have been good at doing this for over 50 years. I mean, they, they've mastered it. And all, But the pro- part of the problem that the left has is that we act like we're in coalition with liberals who want to change that, which we're not. Because the reality is, is that part of the problem of being on the left is believing that you're dealing with Democrats and liberals who are trying to fight for the material realities that change the condition of the constituencies you care about when you're not. Because what the liberals have been doing for 50 years has been advertising for the job of being the party of the ruling class, which they have become. And one of the consequences of being the party of the ruling class is that the people who control the means of production want you to do their bidding and not give a damn about working class people. So now we have two parties. We're in a situation where we have Republicans who are better at acting like they care about working class people than Democrats are at actually caring about working class people. All right. Okay. I'm loving this cue. I'm seeing a lot of people that I want to talk to today. And we have a little less time than usual because your girl's going to have a social life. So let's try to keep things a little bit briefer than usual. I know I'm the guiltiest party that I'd be wanting to go down the rabbit holes with you. So let's keep each other honest. I'm going to start with you, Jan, my man. What's on your mind this afternoon? What's going on, Bree? Can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. Awesome. Um, 
this is a really good episode. I love every time you have uh, Pascal on. Well, I think he's like super dope. Um, Me too. I'm going to pass that along. I think he's, yeah. he's great. And um, like with this episode, um, you know, just focusing on the on the main like topic, like is wokeness, you know, like destroying or like harming, harming the left. I don't really think it is. I think it's more so of us not really trying to be creative in the ways of how we want to fight for the things we want to fight for. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like uh, when you were bringing, kept bringing up the question, the question like to uh, both of them, especially like to Freddie, saying like, yeah, well, you know, Joe Biden's going to get asked, like, why can't you just say woman? I don't understand, you, you know, like why it's, it's kind of like a dodge from that, you know, like from that question, instead of just saying like, like in, on the topic of like um, women like menstruating, like people like menstruating, you can just say like, yeah, it's like women and other people who menstruate. Like you can, you can, you can say both. Like, you know, it's not that hard of a hard of a thing, you know, like to work around. But it seems like if we don't, it seems like we're afraid, so afraid of saying anything that can be misconstrued of as like um, throwing somebody like under the bus. We, we try to abstain from it, you know, like all together. Like it doesn't seem that hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's not that it's hard at all. Like to me, the NPR tweet is great. It's exactly what mm-hmm. I would write. The problem is that by doing the not hard thing, and maybe it's not a problem. I'm just you know setting mm-hmm. up the conundrum that people are facing. You open yourself up to the kind of backlash that tweet, which used perfectly appropriate language. I didn't think it was awkward language. I thought it was you know it's like oh yeah, it's actually kind of nice to have a reminder that you know it's not. It's not all women who menstruate, you know, it's not yeah. all cis women who menstruate. Like it's, it's, a, it's a perfectly accurate, not, it doesn't, it's not a cringy tweet. Like some of this stuff can get kind of cringy. This wasn't one of them. And yet still it was a tweet that launched a thousand retweets. You yeah, know, like that's the thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. Go, no, go ahead. I mean, I guess the, the question is, do we care? And if the answer is who cares, screw it. Fine. Yeah, like, it's, it's me. It's not even like that deep. It's like if you know, if like, like you know, they're going, you're going to get that, you know, criticism by saying like, um, just by just saying people who menstruate. My mm-hmm. thing is like, you can just say women and people uh, and other people who menstruate. Like then, you know, you just die. Yeah, but you know they're going to be mad at that jam. They, they they're, could they're- be. They, like they could be, but at least like you're not. At least you, you know. At least you're trying your best. At least you're doing something to avoid, you know, like the obvious, you know, like criticism. You know, then if they still want to come at you from that, it's like, yeah, so like, I didn't like, it's not like, you, like, if they still come at you for saying women and other people who menstruate, then it's easier to put it like on them. So, like, yes, yeah, like, I'm acknowledging, you know, like, uh, um, no, that's mainly women, you know, who menstruate, and I'm acknowledging, you know, that there's other people, you know, who don't. Uh, then you can push it back to them saying, like, are you saying that there's other people who don't, you know, menstruate? Jam, but then, jam, you jam, know, jam. that's not the case. Like, it's, it's, jam. Uh, it's easy. Uh, jam. <laughs> I, I could not agree with you more. But mm. there's nothing about what you just said. Like the whole problem is that all of those words mean that it's not mm. it's not easy in the way that a certain cohort of the public will accept. Now, you can say they're operating a bad faith and who cares? The people who made mm. that ridiculous What is a Woman movie are obviously operating a bad faith. And you can say, screw it, who cares? My only concern, like I, when I when I brought up the hypothetical of there being this uh, uh, presidential primary question. Mm. I came up with it on the spot, but it's been haunting me ever since because I, I suspect we're going to start seeing in some of these midterm debates, people bringing up that question 
And because it, like, here's where the left has always historically failed. We used to talk about this back in the early aughts. Oh, the problem with the left and why we couldn't beat Bush is because we were, we were so much more nuanced and so much more intelligent and so much more intellectual mm. that their little pithy slogans just were easier to get out there and easier to consume than all of our big brained ideas. This is what we yeah. told ourselves back then. Uh, and, and I hate this. Yeah. Right. And I'm not, I'm trying not to fall into that trap. It's not that I'm trying, I know what it sounds like, but I'm not trying to validate what they're saying, but I'm trying to acknowledge mm. that there is some utility in thinking through what our version of a pithy response is that also makes sense. And when I was, I was watching the, the live chat of the video premiere of the episode that just ended, you know, 15 minutes or so ago, and there were some suggestions in that chat that I liked. Um, I liked mm. people who suggested deflecting to the idea that, you know, people can define themselves and I don't think it's the role of the government to tell people who they are. I think there's that there, there's a certain logic to that that might appeal to kind of the independent libertarian streak uh, among the right and independents. Mm. But I, all I'm saying is I think it's worth talking about because even at, saying it's simple because we understand it is not the same thing as it being simple. This was the same thing that happened with that Tucker Carlson thing. Like we all know what a, duck, a dog whistle is and we can say that it's simple, but I don't know how many people in the comments, I was surprised to say, Oh, I actually, no one's ever explained that term to me. I'm glad you walked it through. But that's my yeah. only hesitation. Yeah. Go ahead. Jim. Yeah. Oh yeah. I get, well, you know, so I, I get that. And I get that. And I definitely, no, I definitely agree, but I still think it's, well, I do think like one of the bigger things is just us just not willing, you know, not willing to just push, not willing to be um, like just accept, you know, like criticism and push. Like look at, like let's say, like look at Trump. You know, mm-hmm. no matter how much, you know, like uh, good faith and bad faith, you no know, criticism, you know, like Trump, uh, Trump got even when it was like when he came out saying like grabbing by the pussy and shit, he mm-hmm. ended up just going ahead and like just uh, flipping to to say, um, and he ended up still not letting that. Letting yeah. that offset his, you know, his his whole his whole thing, you know. Yeah, but I think still, that's a good point. You, know, you know, it still end up, you know, like saying like fuck the criticism. I know, I know, like the people, like the, the people that's looking at you in good faith, you know, will understand. And if you're speaking in good faith, you're always going to out, you know, like outreach to people. And that's why I don't like when uh, like the criticism that like the left will get when you're talking about all these like you just brought up earlier saying like our, our ideas are, like, are too big and stuff. And like the idea of saying, if you have to explain your idea, like if you got to ex- explain your slogan or explain your idea, then you, then you already lo- lost. Right. Like mm-hmm. I hate that ideology. Cause if that's the case, then like Andrew Yang wouldn't have been a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he popped because he, he got big from explaining what the hell like UBI is and got, you know, and, and blew up. Same thing I can say, like contribute that for like Bernie Sanders, you know, rise and like him, and mainstream, you know, uh, popularity by really mm-hmm. getting into the weeds of, you know, like Medicare for all. But like you get, you get those type, you get that type of like support and, and, um, it can cut through a lot of like BS if you're actually like willing, you know, like to go ahead and like, and like get in the weeds with it. Like you brought up before, I think, I can't remember which episode it was when you were talking about how Bernie Sanders ended up telling, like telling a woman, I think it was like at like a town hall, was, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think you should like be able to, um, you know, like uh, expand more if you can't like yeah. pay for like Medicare for these people. So like if you're not, that's why I think we shouldn't be worried too much. And like not, well, I don't think like these are heels to die on if we don't let them be heels to die on. You know, I, I think that's an excellent point. I think that's right. And on the whole, like I you know was saying on the podcast, in in practice, I've been pivoting. In practice, mm-hmm. I've been saying, why do you care? And pivoting to the the core issue, the the ground that we kind of want to be fighting on. 
the and I completely appreciate this is a niche concern of mine, and I'm indulgently using the podcast to work out my own personal frustrations because of the new media context that I'm in. My only concern is when I'm in a place where I cannot, I cannot so easily pivot because it's the to, it's the chosen topic of conversation. Yeah, like I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't pivot. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pivot. Like, and I get it. Like, like so, I'm, I'm, I'm in here. Like, because of my work, you know, like where I am, I'm mm. almost always surrounded, you know, by by uh, by conservatives. But I find like they respect more. Like, if you're it's just, I think it's more so of finding finding new ways and trying to get more creative in how we're going to approach approach a problem. You, you know, like instead of just because we we do this a lot on the left, like we don't want to we are, have our particular like arguments and we just stick to those like particular ar- arguments. We don't really try because because we really feel like we're, we're more so insular. We don't try like to to think of like uh, we don't really engage with a lot of other people, so we don't really try to think of new ways of how to make ourselves hard to make Understood. our um, arguments mm-hmm. more appealing you know mm-hmm. so about being in being in like um but being in um in places where we you know you're you're around people outside your bubble is forcing you to you know think of new ways to make yourself you know like more convincing and we have just like when we spoke last i think about like the gun debate when i was saying like nobody's ever um was you know, talking about uh fingerprints like on guns you know like mm-hmm. we're not 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 thinking about how to make the thing safer instead you know like we mm-hmm. we're cutting ourselves off and like mm-hmm. being more imaginative you know yeah for sure well thank you jim i really appreciate you calling in Moza. um i believe is it mary or mari i saw on the chat that you wanted to give the perspective of an actual trans person and i would love for that to happen so so welcome unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind today can you press the unmute button? Hello. Hi. Hey, how are you? Good. I can't believe I'm talking to you. I've listened to you for such a long time. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. I'm sure. Is it is it Mary or Mari? It's Mari. Mari. All right. Lay it so, on us, Mari. So there's, there's a couple of angles that I can respond because I'm a composer, so I write music. And so I have a comment about the Lizzo thing as well. Oh, fabulous. Um. In response to your question that you keep on asking, there's a series on YouTube by uh, Ian Danskin. I think it's Innuendo Studios. And it talks about like how the right gets away with all these things in terms of discourse. And mm. he flat out says, don't play defense. Mm-hmm. Because when you when you start defending, you've already lost the debate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when I talk to my friends, you know, trans issues are being talked about more just like on a mainstream because it's, it's new to a lot of people. Mm. Um, But I tell people, you know, if people are saying they want to debate you and they don't have, and you do not have a shared goal in Mm -hmm. good faith, Mm -hmm. then they're just trolls. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I guess I keep focusing on this and I completely acknowledge that it is a niche preoccupation because I'm in a unique situation and I'm imagining other kinds of niche situations like presidential debates and stuff, because that's kind of my world guilty as charged. But what I've discovered is so like in the context of this podcast, outside of like an episode of Dave Chappelle here and there, it's not something that I am courting because I don't really feel like I'm in the best position to be leading those conversations, et cetera. It also outside of, you know, specific issues like, you know, uh, homelessness being, uh, 
overrepresented among the trans population or other kind of LGBT specific issues where you have disproportionate harms befalling that particular community. It's not, you know, a focus of the podcast, right? But when I go out into the world and the Republicans have already done such a good job affirmatively setting the stage to your point, like going on the offense on these issues, because they know it's a distraction from their terrible economic project. It's what they offer instead of substantive material benefit. Then I'm because I'm on a show where they are choosing the topics and in large part for me to say, like kind of to cross my arms and say, well, you know, this just isn't important to me. Let's talk about the $15 minimum wage. I start to look like I'm the one that's operating in bad faith and unwilling to kind of quote unquote, defend the side that I'm there to defend. I, I disagree that you come off looking like you're in bad faith. Um, I think what you said earlier about, you know, this is not something that you've researched or something that you know a lot about, or, you know, you would prefer to defer to, to trans people or other people on the left that know more specifically about the reality for trans Americans in this mm-hmm. country. You know, I think when you say that, and if you just, if you just say, you know, I'm not the best person to respond to that, I would suggest this person. I think the conversation can end there because you're being honest and nobody on the left can hold that against you. People on Twitter might come after you, but that's just a waste of your time. So, I mean, I do feel generally speaking when hosts do that, you know, when podcasters or whatever do that, a part of me is like, Oh, I just want you to be prepared. Like that's your job. Your whole job is to know what you're talking about. And you know, a lot of subjects between us come up on the show where I'm like, Oh, I know much about that. I'm just going to fill this time for the next well, five minutes. Be, they shouldn't be talking about that. Well, I, I agree, but that's the whole problem with the pundit world and like these seven minute news segment style um, news programs. That's why I much prefer a podcast where I can study up on one, you know, two subjects a week and have the capacity to be informed and ha- to have chosen guests that I also believe are informed and have, I think, a more substantive conversation. Somebody in the chat, um, Jonathan, was talking about there was a moment in today's conversation with Emily uh, Jashinsky and um, Jordan Sherrington uh, from Status Coup when the, we were talking about, I don't know exactly what the framing of the segment was, but, you know, trans issues. And I asked Emily, you know, it, you know, the left, we obviously make the argument that it's the right that's bringing this up to distract, right. And, and to win the culture war. And Emily was like, well, Democrats do it too. And I was like, I don't know if that that's exactly fair, both siderism. Can you give me an example of a time when Democrats have tried to change public policy as opposed to just broadly winning the culture war because people like willing greats and don't hate LGBT people as much as they once did. And she says, she pointed to the Obama um, memo that tethered, funding for colleges to them embracing um, reading trans folks into Title IX, LGBTQ people into Title IX. And there wasn't really space in the program for to get into, you know, why is that a problem? Why should people have has a reactionary response to that? Is it really about, you know, the idea of a trans girl in the bathroom that is, is has sparked all of this. Is that even a fair criticism? And if it is, what does that mean about our broader culture? Like there wasn't really space for that, but it, I wish there were, because to me, that's, that's really the, the conversation I want to have. I want to have a whole conversation about like, what is, is it true? Should we really reckon with the idea that the impetus for all of this culture war is the fact that Democrats in lieu of substantively giving some policy 
did a rather like a broadly performative, I think good, well-intended, but broadly performative, not especially impactful memo, advisory memo that ended up triggering all of this. And is this kind of what we have wrought by not focusing on the material realities of, of the communities that we're virtue signaling about with these kinds of efforts? You know, so I, I, I am frustrated because I see these glimpses of moments of utility but at the same time, it ends up being all about kind of point scoring and moving on to the next segment. Absolutely. I see that, too. Um, and, you know, I, I share frustrations, especially with the Democrats. Um, of course, I know the right is not on my side at all. Um, I don't have a good response to all of that. I'll be honest. Um, somebody that I wanted to recommend for you to have on mm-hmm. is an- Angelica Ross. Angelica Ross. Yes. Um, she's a black trans woman. Um, she's, she's an actor, um, but she's also been uh, an activism and she's an entrepreneur. Anyway, she has a whole big resume, but I feel like she could respond to a lot of these questions more fluently than I could. Um, and, you know, you, when you, when you speak to her, if you do speak to her, you'll have to ask her, why she would um oh i know her from somewhere where do i know her from what's she well, in she's been in pose did you watch pose? oh pose yeah pose yes 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 okay, oh also so american like, horror story she's been she was candy mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah so she's brilliant and i i follow her and i've been following her for a long time highly recommend speaking to her um you'll have to ask her why she was supporting warren over bernie in the uh, 2020. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to do bad blood. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) We don't, we don't have, we can be friends. Don't, don't make me get messy with her. (laughs) When I, when I saw, okay, that's fair. Oh, when I saw your episode about uh, Chappelle's The Closer, Mm -hmm. I was like, why didn't you ask like a BIPOC trans woman to be on there? I mean, the real reason is because, you know, look, let's, let's talk about this for a second. One, the broad kind of, you know, not particularly substantive excuse is that scheduling is hard and you kind of go for low-hanging fruit. And that's the reason that there's also often a lack of diversity in a lot of these podcasts and every other kind of thing. I will also say that for every episode, I try really hard to get at least some base level of, like, gender and ethnic diversity. And I will send out 10 emails and three straight cis white men will write me back, and that's what the episode <laughs> is. Like, I, I, I cannot tell you how often that happens. You know, women self-select out. They tell me they're busy. They tell me they don't have the expertise. Meanwhile, every straight white man that I ask 10 out of 10 times wants to come on the podcast. So that's what it ends up being, you know? So I I am trying. I could be trying harder, like, but I am trying. With respect to that particular episode, I have been struggling. And I I don't want this to sound like victim blaming. And you can feel free to, like, clap back at me. I have been struggling to find spokespeople because all I have is like the internet and I'm combing through articles and seeing, okay, this trans person wrote this article and this person did this YouTube video and I'm looking at interviews and I'm trying to find people that I feel like can have the conversation and it not devolve immediately into a kind of reductive conversation that's out there in the discourse, which is, you know, this criticism is, you know, attacking my life. This article is violence against me. You know what I mean? There's there's a kind of level of discourse that kind of resists 
discourse, like a nuanced conversation of the type I want to have. And I want to find it more trans interlocutors who are willing to do that. Now there's a lot of black interlocutors who talk like that too. A lot of big libs in the black community. <laughs> I'm, I'm black and I, and I'm in it enough to have picked and chosen and found my black leftist who can hang and have a substantive conversation, you know, and I will confess that because I'm not as familiar with the layers and diversity within the trans community in terms of political opinions, it's not as easy for me to do that and find like the folks who will actually make for a good conversation the way I can weed through the morasses of like, uh, uh what's her face on MSNBC. Um, she's real cute, but she's annoying. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, what's her name? Z- I don't whatever. watch MSNBC anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's fine. But whatever the Simone Sanders of the world, I have to like comb through all the Simone Sanders to find someone who can really like jive. So that's why I wrote down your suggestion. and I appreciate it. And if you have more, I want to hear them. But what I don't want to end up is with like the whole conversation being, well, you know, uh, what's his name? Dave Chappelle is a transphobe. Okay. Yes. A hundred percent. Let's, let's, let's all stipulate to to him being a transphobe. Now can we talk about the content of the special? Yeah, well, it's just that his humor is bad. He's not funny. He doesn't know how he doesn't know how to make trans funny, uh, and it's because he doesn't know enough about like trans people. And you recently had on somebody who I adore, uh, FD Signifier, mm-hmm. and and he actually did a video on Chappelle. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, it's no, I, I've seen it. Yeah, it it's was excellent. excellent. So um, I, look, I, I don't I, even I, think you need a trans person necessarily to speak well about trans issues like FD signifier is not trans, well, right, look obviously. we had we had Dr. Thrasher on who is uh you know he's gay he is a journalism professor and he specifically has is you know specializes in writing about and a professor of LGBT issues so it wasn't as though we were just throwing random people at the at the topic of conversation but you know he did the thing that I was afraid that a guest would do who, you know, was taking a certain position here, which is he didn't watch the special. He came on with a lot of opinions that he couldn't really substantiate because at very least, I'm not saying he was wrong, but if you don't watch the special, you immediately lose the confidence of the audience. They feel disrespected because everybody else watched the special and it feels, you know, it feels like a bad faith argument if you haven't even engaged on that level. And then a lot of his criticisms were, you know, on the lines of it's not funny, which maybe it's not, but obviously quite a few people did find it to be funny, including, you know, there's lots of parts of the special that weren't about trans issues that were frankly bigoted in other ways, but people thought, thought they were funny. And so, you know, I want to be able to have a conversation about some of these other layered aspects of it. And, and I appreciate, look, I, and again, I do this, deal with this with black people all the time. There are, there's a kind of black person that says, these are my rights. This is my humanity. This is my life on the line. I don't have time to debate this. This joke or this take threatens my well-being, and I'm not here for it. And I respect that point of view. But I got to say, it doesn't make for the best conversations. Right. Yeah. Actually, you I, we're gonna, you said exactly what I would respond, which is a lot of people, a lot of trans people didn't bother to watch that mm-hmm. because – they already know. <laughs> they already know it's going to be uh, painful to watch. 
I look, I, I get it. And I would never tell anybody to or force anybody to, but that's the, that is the problem with sourcing people to come and talk about it on the show, it's sourcing trans people specifically to come and talk about some of these issues. I also don't necessarily want to be the one knocking on every, you know, trans person that follows me on Twitter being like, Hey, I'm going to talk about a trans thing. I've never right. talked to you before. Can you come talk to me about this trans thing? I'm a little ambivalent about doing that as well. Right. I just think it's really cynical of Dave Chappelle to like pit cis black people against trans, all trans people. Um, he thinks that, uh, you know, if you watch the special, it sounds like he thinks that there black trans people don't exist. And that if you're trans, it's because you follow some, you know, academic, mostly white ideology of some sort. But the fact of the matter is every, you know, culture has its version of trans people. We've always been here. So, so I, I did hear that criticism, and I want to say that we talked about it on the episode, although it was so long ago now that I, I don't remember it so clearly. I don't but, mean to be rehashing anything. No, no, no. I think it's good. No, I, I appreciate it. And I look, I, I appreciate your willingness to, you know, I'm sorry you're in the position of having to be the spokesperson for trans people. Now, normally no, it's Rika. It's, <laughs> Poor it's, Rika, you know, she in the chat. It's this thing. It's like I, I say that it's cynical, but I say that to point it out so that I can move on. I don't need to sit here. And, you know, just brood over the Netflix special. And that's not going to stop me from showing up for poor Black people. Yeah. As a person on the left, just because I'm offended by something doesn't mean I'm going to break up with, you know, you or Bernie or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, can I ask you, what what do you think about um, how the left liberals, generally speaking, have been handling the this stupid movie and the discourse more broadly. Okay. Well, I haven't watched the movie. So well, no, nobody I'm... has because you pay for it. I mean, I watched the Hassan Piker 20 minute takedown, but I haven't, I mean, I'm not going to pay that man for this movie. I mean, it's just, obviously he's just a troll. And like, I don't think like I'm a trans woman and I walk, I live in Texas mm-hmm. and I go outside daily. Nobody has trouble consuming me, understanding me, treating me as a woman. Mm. Nobody. So it's this just like made up problem. Yeah. You know, this question is so irrelevant and it's a distraction. And you've said that many times. Yeah. I mean, Mari, do you think that there is a part of this? So, so Hassan's take, and I said this on the podcast was that, you know, this is really stupid because ultimately if someone looked at, um, Oh, sorry, what's the trans man's name that a lot of trans people don't like because he's kind of like a old school, he's not a um, turf, obviously. I know who uh, you're talking about. I, I just had his Buck name. And I just, yeah, Buck Angel. Hassan's point was that no one looks at Buck Angel and sees him as anything other than a man because of how he presents. But I don't, that's not entirely fair because one, people shouldn't feel like they're, um, you know, people's willingness to treat them as the gender identity they subscribe to is contingent on their ability to pass. Which right? is a class issue. That is a class issue. And every time it is brought up, I'm so irritated that people are like, you know, are, are for class solidarity, but are just transphobic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, with you saying that you're moving through Texas and no one has trouble consuming you. And I'm, I'm very glad that's the case. But I also appreciate that there are other people who might move through Texas very differently, depending on how they present to the world for the cla- for class reasons and other reasons. And, you know, it's it's 
it's, this is, this is an interesting part of the conversation. It doesn't get talked about enough because I think most people who would weed into these waters are doing it in bad faith and are transphobic. But there's this interesting question of how our broader rigid gender norms are being kind of subsumed into this conversation about trans identity and presentation and what it would mean for trans identity if there wasn't even among cis people all of this all of these presumptions about how a woman should be and how a man should be and girls wearing pink actually i heard a really good trans like a like an actual good trans joke on um tiktok or whatever the other day where the joke was some guy like misidentified somebody's baby and said oh what a cute little Mm-hmm. you know girl and she's like it's a boy can't you tell he's wearing blue and the mom was also wearing blue <laughs> and the comedian's like okay sir sorry about that <laughs> you know, you know that's, that's it's really that simple you know i i think about dogs not necessarily babies but it's like we always ask is it a boy or a girl mm-hmm. or what's what's the dog's name mm-hmm. and it's just like why can't we have that same courtesy with each other yeah yeah well, look, I, I won't keep you all day. I know I said I was going to move through these um, people quickly and my bad. But I appreciate you calling in, Marianne. I hope you call in again. I definitely will. Can I say one last thing? Yeah, of course. It's so inconsequential what mm-hmm. my gender is. The only reason my gender matters is, or my, my sex even, the only reason my sex matters is because you're a medical professional that is working on my body mm-hmm. or you and I are going to have sex. Yes. Well, the Republicans have decided otherwise. Republicans have decided that even though we should stay out of people's houses and homes, we should definitely get involved in six CPS on people who want to do gender affirming care for their kids. And now it's become a federal case. It's so inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. They're making creating mm -hmm. problems, fake problems. (laughs) I mean, yes, they, they have figured out a way to try to make, their concern trolling seem legitimate by doing kind of like, well, what about the children hand wringing? And it, it, that's a bigger conversation, which again, we should have. And I'm going, I've definitely uh, written down Angelica Ross and I'll be following up. And I appreciate you, Mari, for, for weighing in here and for being patient with us as we figure it out. I'm Thank with you us so much. Keep on doing this as we figure work. it out. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Brian, unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. What's going on, Bree? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Um, I just want to, uh, again, thank you for, you know, uh, holding the space in the call in and uh, giving us an opportunity to check in with y'all. Um, I really appreciate your last episode and the guest who brought up Sam Delaney. Um, I'm a big science fiction fan, big time Trekkie. I know you are too. And uh, Sam Delaney is an amazing science fiction writer. Uh, still alive and well, as far as I know today. And um, just curious if you've ever had a chance to survey or look at any of Delaney's work. I have not. What's yeah, I, the genre of fiction? It's of sci-fi. Fiction. I got, um, that is a complicated, that's a complicated question, Brie. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that, but uh, maybe new wave in like the simplest form. But Is it like space? Can... Is it like ponies that fly? Is it like dystopias and utopias? It's like, um, okay, I'm just going to tell you about one. Uh, I and Gamora, uh, one of my favorite pieces of all time. Uh, It's literally about the people in power being able to kind of shape gender identity and norm and how that affects, you know, people on the ground. 
and in space, so mm. to speak. Uh, amazing, just an amazing piece. And then he has this piece called Racism in Science Fiction, an essay that he wrote in uh, like the late 90s about uh, the concept of black science fiction and how like his science fiction has been racialized. And he's been racialized as a, you know, a black author and, and does all these uh, conference and convention appearances with like, at the time, Octavia Butler, even mm -hmm. though their science fiction had nothing in common. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just a, a fascinating science fiction uh, author. I've been telling people, I think science fiction is one of the only things that we can use to like meet the, uh, you know, imagination and creativity problems of our day. And so um, I'm I just... It was awesome to hear Delaney. It was, it was, that was like in the last 10 minutes of the episode. And the entire thing was, uh, was a great discussion. And then to cap it off with that was excellent. So I appreciate you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you appreciating things about the art, the episode that I, <laughs> I barely noticed, but I will definitely be keeping an eye out for Sam Delaney going forward. Thank you, Brian. Hey, and, and what last reminder, uh, there's that amazing episode of Star Trek uh, where Nog forms, no, 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 Rom forms a union. And mm -hmm. uh, it's called Bar Association and uh, got to have a bad faith watch party uh, on that sometime. I would love that because uh, Deep Space Nine has brought to my attention is going off Netflix at the end of the month. Whoa. So I'm making everybody in my life binge watch Deep Space Nine. So I'm going to make a note to say make, date, watch Bar Association this weekend. <laughs> Let's go. And, and and I know you got big time influence. So why don't you, you know, invite some of those uh, old school DS9 uh, actors, you know what I'm saying? Have them come do a Have them do a panel about that. I uh, was on a uh, Katie show with Ro Laren. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> and she's a big lefty. And I, I, I remember that um, Kate Mulgrew, uh, Catherine Janeway endorsed AOC. Oh, I'm not okay. super clear on where everybody else stands. I mean, we all know that God bless him. George Takei is a bit of a lib, um, but I'd still love to have him on. <laughs> I, res I respect them all, but I I'm going to give that some thought and see what I can do. Brian, thank you for calling in. Hey, take it easy, break. Uh, enjoy the baseball game. Sorry. It's baseball. You know, it's about basketball <laughs> season. It's coming to an end. Right. Have a good one. Later. Thank you. You too. Take care. All right. Bye. I have not called you up in a while what's on your mind this afternoon hey what's going on brie how's it uh how's it going it's going pretty well yeah i gotta say i'm a lot perkier at five yeah. in the afternoon <laughs> than i am at 10 p.m i have all this energy i'm like oh gosh i should do this all the time <laughs> yeah i i honestly sometimes i look at just now that you're doing rising and everything i look at your life and i honestly don't know how you do any of it like any one of those things seems like a lot and I'm a pretty lazy person myself. So like the fact that you're doing like rising and then you have a call in and then you're doing like, I don't know, like a date night or something. That's like, I could do like one of those things in a day. So, well, don't praise me yet. Uh, I think my <laughs> episode that I was going to record tomorrow from Monday just fell through. So we'll see if we actually get you a Monday episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could do the, just a D space nine uh, watch party or something like that. <laughs> Maybe. In its place. Um, Maybe. Uh, so I really like this episode uh, today and um, what's his name? Pascal. Uh, mm -hmm. He, man, he's, I just really vibe with a lot of what he has to say. Um, Isn't he great? He's like a he, natural professor. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of like, I do think that, you know, just living in the sort of Twitter society that we're in today, where a lot of our discussions are like discourse and sort of framed around academia and even being trained in these uh, more academic environments where you kind of still have like a an inkling that something's 
like messed up, like you, you know, you're not getting stuff done and mm-hmm. you keep having these conversations. It's nice to have someone who can just kind of like pinpoint that mm-hmm. sometimes and, you know, mm-hmm. call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that being said, I do. I think with wokeness is such a just that issue is so potent for the right right now. Right. And the sort of how they frame conversations and how they engage in these sort of dumb wars to sway voters one way or another, or they make things that aren't issues into issues, or they get away with actually materially affecting the lives of people in in real ways while uh, framing it as a cultural issue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't think you can... I, I think the real... The question that I really have with wokeness mostly today is... To what extent? To what extent we can prevent it from becoming like a one? You you stay on the material sort of issues. Like, how do you redirect and how do you like move us back to talking about how wokeness is really just and the conversations about it are mostly just a weapon to divide people and also distract us from actually uh, things that matter. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, those but kind even of that, I mean, that's what kind but, of bugs me out. And that's, that's why I want to talk about the Sam Adler Bell article, because right. when you say that, especially as a white guy, if you say, uh, wokeness is a distraction, what so many people hear is that my discrete issue isn't important to you. And you just want me to sit tight while you do your Medicare for all. And meanwhile, my community exactly. is dying. Exactly. And, and yep. there are people who have done that like libs have thrown all of all the all, everybody under the bus all the time and not even for anything good just for bullshit yeah 100 you know? but I, I think there's a specific way you redirect it you redirect it in a way to where it maintains the power structures that are actually oppressing the people who are at the center of these wokeness debates right like why do we use like uh, for example when you're having a conversation about uh crt Mm-hmm. Right. The idea is, well, they want you to, I don't know, like hate America or something like that. They say, no, really, the the idea is they don't want us to talk about uh, the fact that black people are in very similar positions in so many ways today because of our politicians lack of taking any action to correct these mistakes or to actually make uh you know, to give people the sort of rights that they should be entitled to just as being human beings alive in the richest country in the world, like healthcare. Uh, I think you could do something similar with, um, you know, when people talk about trans people and God, they get away with the, the amount of shit that people get away with, with talking about trans people is, is crazy. Can I tell you, I had yeah. a bit of an yeah. explosion on set today off uh-huh. camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go, go for it. I was yeah. like, if you guys make me, if you guys make me engage in one more fucking conversation about this where nobody knows what they're talking about. I'm defending something that I admittedly don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I, I like, I'm like, why are we obsessed? I understand that it's happening out in the world and being responsive to it. But like, truly, why is Brianna Joy Gray and Robbie Suave sitting here? <laughs> having yeah. this, like who needs to hear about this from us? 
Yeah. And, well, and I, I probably shouldn't have done that. No, no. Go off. Go off. Fuck them. But I, like, like, I really, like, it feels, it's, it's in this weird gaslighting. I mean, no one's trying to be gaslighting. Right, 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 right. Everybody's lovely. Right. They're just trying to, like, respond to what's clickable on Twitter. And I understand it's not their fault. Everybody's, like, capitalism, rah, rah, clicks. It yeah. is what it is. They're, it's their job. Everyone's doing a job. But I, it is, it feels inescapable. And yeah. I resent it. <laughs> well, it, it, it sticks. Look, it sticks for a reason, right? It's not like like people have found this topic gets a response from people, and there's an air, like a, a very small air of like uh, the semblance. It's it's a it's illusion, but the semblance of like legitimacy around the conversation of you know. But what is a woman? Like Jordan Peterson has been doing this shit for a decade yeah. and made a whole career off this same ass question, and now we got like some stupid ass Matt Walsh who's you know, publishing the same damn question shit and it's the same shit over and over, but it sticks. And so since it's going to be a stick at point, you know, I don't even know if we need to understand why it is that it sticks or, you know, under like, like I, I think what you need to do or what, what we need to do is turn it back on like, yeah, but doesn't someone like, don't people deserve human rights and humanity and shouldn't someone like exactly that government aspect, like, so are you telling me that, like, the government should have control over my freedom of self-expression? Are you telling me that, like, yeah. society, that y'all should get to tell me how to live or how I have to present or, like, who I get to be with or any of that? And that's – and I, it's, it's strange that I don't see conversations happen that much, which kind of – I mean, that's kind of directly engaging the question still, but it's, it's talking about, like, the real essence of it. It's like, look, like – you know the what is a woman it's like what is a human what is what is humanity what is right what is like, existence what is literally you what know? is a spoon at a certain point yeah, if you just right. really start asking me to define things have you ever had like a child ask you what a word means yeah and it's like not a hard word and you're like struggling to figure yeah. out how to define it <laughs> like yeah dude. everything is hard to define yeah. we, don't, we just take so much for granted it's not about it actually being difficult to understand it's just Language is hard. Communicating yeah. is hard. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's that, that's the difficulty with that conversation. It has nothing to do with like the actual should people have rights, you know? And, and that's the real issue that they're trying to get to. And that's the real kind of scapegoating that they're trying to do whenever they, they bring up this question. So I do think like, look, a certain level of like, I know some people are saying don't engage, don't do this, don't whatever, but like that stuff still percolates, right? Like, you know, people are still talking about that shit in spaces and without any sort of alternative to that question or to that, then people can fall into that shit, you know, like, and, and, you know, I was talking to some people, the, well, Rika and Shelly and some people the, the other day about mm -hmm. like how you know, these people who are in this Patriot Front, uh, who are in this U-Haul mm -hmm. and this Patriot Front group and whether or not, you know, is it a PSYOP, is it not? I don't know. But the idea that, like, if you go through and you start reading, like, their manifesto and stuff, a lot of their problems when they're talking about, oh, we don't have a representative democracy anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, things are really bad. You know, democracy is an illusion and the elites just rule us. That's all true. And those are, like, conditions of, you know, what I see as, like, a... a exploitative system uh of like a, a capitalism where it's it's just working as intended and they're squeezing as many people dry as they can and you know giving money to the oligarchs that now actually fund the people who 
purport to be representing you, but they don't. They represent yeah. the moneyed interest, right? Yeah, and that's and, why you know I did the radar today, and that's a take yeah. that people can take. But that's what it looks like when you're going on the affirmative, and you're not going to get you know. That's what it looks like when you go on the affirmative. I feel like I have to get a PhD in Ron DeSantis being horrible because the best response to Ron DeSantis backing some anti-LGBT bill is just to not just say Ron DeSantis is using this as a distraction, but to ask why he has spent his term trying to fight the $15 minimum wage that was democratically voted for in the state. Yeah. And why he is ignoring the housing crisis in Florida and why is he, he's ignoring sea level rise in Florida and why he's ignoring all of these substantive issues in Florida. But you got to be able to know what those are to be able to come back in a way that doesn't seem so superficial. So I, I agree with you, Bide. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, the and then the last part and the, you don't really get into this too much in this episode, but I do think there's going to be a wider I know it's like a conversation and all we do is have conversations like shit, but like there is, there's some kind of addressing or some kind of like, I don't know, come to Jesus moment that we all need to have when it comes to um, sort of dogma on, on like, like a wokeness dogma to the extent that it exists and, and perpetuates itself. You know, like I don't really believe in like cutting people out, for saying shit or like doing something wrong or even like having been a bad person before if they like are if they're ready to change or or if they come mm-hmm. back and they like you know like you know i i just think of people who have you know they have like leftist politics and they want the same things and they want the same goals and when they do you know slip up and you know like say you know, a colored person or something like that or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I do think it's way too easy as long as there's like a dogma aspect and there's not like a forgiveness and trying to see someone's best intentions. I think it's way too easy for anyone to come in who wants to derail shit and just start with that call out culture and say, Look, well, you're I, this I agree with you. and, I agree and it's with been you. done, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. we've seen that. I mean, like Cointel pro with the black Panthers, that's like exactly what they were doing is like doing all kinds of that shit and getting like black, uh, radical groups to dislike each other by putting out coloring books where they purported to be the black Panthers, you know, killing some other, uh, black radicalist group. So it's like, yeah. It's Have you seen easy. severance? Oh, no, I haven't. Everyone says I need to watch Okay, it. there's a moment in Severance. I won't spoil it, but okay. that literally goes down. And, you know, I'm not oh, saying think, that that's what's that's happening. I think that's spoiling it, though, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, because you have no sense of the context. You couldn't possibly okay, imagine the context that that. Okay, word, in. word. Okay, cool. You don't even know what the show is about. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's true. Okay. And when you find out what the show is about, you're going to be really curious as to how possibly any kind of uh, – Contralpo situation could happen in the context of the show. So, okay, yeah. but I, um, you know, people are saying that about whatever is going down with Chang and all of this stuff. And to yeah. the, I don't think that that's, you know, I have no reason to believe it's that nefarious. But I, I, I reached out. I did. I, I reached out. I DM'd him and asked him, like, in all good faith, would you like to just come and talk to me? Because when I listened to the Fuller clip, right. he was misled. He was asked a series of leading questions by the interviewer yeah. who said affirmatively it was like the questions were like well so brianna joy gray loves tucker carlton and is a big fan of hitler what do you think about her being a leftist <laughs> you 
know? Yeah, so that's, of course your answer is going to be, well, I don't yeah. like those things. That sounds very bad. If you like those things, you're not a leftist, to, to which yeah. I would agree if the premise were true. Right. Um, so I, I would love to talk it through with him. Just like I, when I saw Glenn Greenwald and Nathan Robinson bickering, they're two right. men that I, I like. And I, I loved the conversation they had. And I, if I could do every single episode like that, squashing some Twitter beef, getting people in conversation with each other, I would be a happy camper. We can Yo, make, change the name of the podcast to, you know, offline. <laughs> Let's just Touch take grass. it offline. Touch yeah. grass, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. Well, I, uh, that's really cool. And I, you know, like, don't, don't let all this, like, uh, you know, Twitter shit and uh, you do get a lot of like actual bad faith criticisms coming your way, which is w- pretty wild when, when like some of the people that the things that people have accused you of, but don't let it like, don't let it like stop that part of you that actually reaches out to people and believes in a bigger mission like that. And that's willing to actually talk to someone like that because like it, you can't like people can't fuck with like actual community and actual humanity. And that is such a thing that we actually have, we do really on the left when we think about like the things that you want to have for people, you know, when you think about like the plan you want for a society, like that is, that's a, a big difference maker between like us and a lot of this right rhetoric. And I think we just need to, we, we need to make people be able to believe that. And some of that is like, it's going to take a little bit of us like being willing to engage and being willing to like be, you know, like, I don't want to say like the bigger person, but being able to like, you know, breathe and then still show people that, look, like, even if you don't like me, if you're in this situation where you're of a class that's being exploited, you don't have to like me. I'm still fighting for you. Like, it doesn't matter if you think I'm like, it, it really doesn't matter if you think I'm like the, the best person. Like, my mission is to make your life better. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. And that's I think if we can find ways to just really emphasize that more and more and to do actual like work on the ground which a lot more of that's actually happening now yeah. uh, which which is good that's it's really good like i think i think we have a huge advantage in that sense so it's really just find a way to play that off but yeah uh, well thank thank you for calling in i yeah. couldn't agree more and i appreciate you bud yeah always a pleasure take care all right, all right bye. take care let's go to jane jane with a snuggly dog avatar unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind Jane didn't think I was coming for her. Jane was in the back. Jane thought she was safe. <laughs> it's okay, Jane. If you're not ready, uh, get back in line, and I will try you again. Uh, I will go to Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing? Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, Brianna, can you hear me? I can. Uh, hey there. So this episode was one of my favorites. I was genuinely oh. upset when it ended because that shit rocked. Oh, thank you. Uh, but last time I called, I spent way too much talking about me. So this time around, I kind of want to pick your brain. No, Dylan, I just want to, I do want to recognize that was one of my favorite episodes of Colin. And I really appreciate people should go back and listen to, I guess it was the JD signifier episode. Yeah. Um, you telling your personal story is the kind of kind of, I mean, primary sourcing like it's as close as we get to not just being pundits and actually understanding what's going on in the real world so i again just really appreciate your vulnerability and willingness to to talk about yourself um but i'm not gonna make you do it again (laughs) what's on your mind today um so as someone who doesn't have a social media presence i'm still super interested in 
social media landscape because I it's it's kind of interesting to me how something digitally and virtually kind of drives what we deem as important in the real world and the whole Lizzo um, fiasco that happened just made me think about how this is some somewhere I hope that maybe you can give some insight how does the Twitter sphere or social social media sphere decide what to target next because I it seems very weird to me that they targeted this particular thing when there's a lot of other things that can be targeted how do you mean what's the particular coming after lizzo over the lyric coming yeah coming after lizzo as opposed to um you know like the chinese joint down the street that only has male and female bathrooms well because lizzo's famous it's no fun to pick on someone when you don't get clout for it I mean, if I tell you, if I tell you that I bumped into someone on the street and they use the word spaz, you'd be like, "Mm, okay, I mean, maybe I don't agree with that. That wasn't great. And you wouldn't think about it again because who cares about this anonymous person? But Lizzo, Lizzo holds herself out as being a good, you know, hashtag good person TM. Lizzo, you know, is woke. And Lizzo was caught in her own web of hypocrisy. Ah ha ha! Let's tear Lizzo down. I mean, that's that's why people have an appetite for it. Although I do, I will say that it seemed like a lot of people really were calling her in and weren't being nasty about it. They they were fans of Lizzo who were disappointed, but didn't you know make totalizing critiques of her as a person. Just asked her to respond, and she did respond, and people seem to have accepted it very happily for the most part. So I do think this is a, a, a kind of a a positive story, regardless of if you think, you know, if, if you personally wouldn't have been offended by the lyric or, you know, I debated with Robbie today on the show because he doesn't perceive, you know, spaz or spastic to be a slur. And I was like, I don't know if this is a generational thing, but I, I might not have picked up on it listening to the song because that's like not my community and perhaps not what I'm sensitive to, but 10 out of 10 in the early nineties, people were using that as pejorative all the time. All the time. Like you can't play dumb. You can't play dumb about that. I mean, you're younger, yeah, but yeah. us as elder millennials remember. So is is I don't. I mean, I don't, I'm not entirely sure too much about Lizzo, but is she also of that '90s generation where it would be a pejorative term? Well, it doesn't. Well, I think she's a little younger. I think she's. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how old Lizzo is. I would guess off the top of my head that she's probably like. 30 adjacent, 29, something like that. Okay. I don't know. Should I Google I, it? I mean, oh, age. Yeah. Um, oh, she's 34. Okay, so we're basically the same age. Oh, okay. So yeah, I- man. Like, guys in the – people in the in the message, tell me, am I the only one who remembers people calling, you know, saying, oh, you're such a spaz, and then they, they would make, like, a hand gesture – you know the one I'm talking about, the same one that Donald Trump made when he was talking about that journalist. Yeah. You know, that was a very common thing. And it wasn't like people were consciously thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you, you know, I'm likening you to a disabled person. It wasn't that conscious. Just like a lot of people were running around calling each other gay and the F word, not literally thinking about gay people, but it doesn't excuse it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? 100%. It doesn't make it okay because we all know what the implications are. 
And even if it's gone out of fashion and kids aren't really using that as pejorative, it doesn't mean it's still not a pejorative. And like I said to Robbie, like there's, there's probably a, a period of time that can go by where it probably doesn't matter anymore. Like the rule of thumb thing. Remember how everyone got mad about rule of thumb because apparently it's based on the idea that you're allowed to beat your wife with anything that was narrower than your thumb, which apparently isn't even true, but never mind. Right. If, if, if something tells me some saying from like 1600 used to mean something terrible, like I'm willing to let it go. Like any, mini mighty mo, the nursery rhyme was originally not a tiger. It was an N word. Am I going to get mad at some like parent singing that to their child at the playground? No. Me personally, no, you know, but I think that, I think that spaz is in a little bit of a different category. So in, in that case, do you think it's all a matter of timing then? Maybe give it 20 more years. It'll be fine. Well, to use that word? No, like why use it at all? <laughs> What's yeah, the point? <laughs> I, I, I don't know either. Cause I'm, that's what I'm trying to investigate as well. Considering, um, you know, what, what you just said about a lot of these words and phrases losing their meaning where we kind of don't even think about the original meaning anymore it's uh it's just something of interest to me because it's for me like the whole uh, like online movement of of wokeness and call out seems to revolve a, a lot around uh linguistics for the most part but once again this is from the outside looking in um you know when you brought the whole like npr article as well of people having um a sort of outrage around that too it's 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 just because I do agree with with also what you brought up earlier about almost like the gamification of, of wokeness, you know, with the with retweets and likes, um, I believe. And it's kind of, I guess, refreshing to hear someone share the same theory is that it is a lot of it does revolve around how much attention you can get when you do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah. just want to know if is, does that equate to a net positive or a net negative when it comes to social activism if the for a lot of people the bottom line is how many how many retweets or likes can you get look the the more charitable way to read that is to say lizzo has a huge reach i i pulled up her video uh, as we were talking because i thought i should just go ahead and listen to this you know and it has almost a million views the song dropped recently and you know a lot of people are listening to it and there is also there's more utility in correcting Lizzo or raising your concerns with Lizzo than the random person on the street who no one's ever really going to hear from except for the ten people he talk, they talk to every day. So you know that's I think that's legitimate. It's the same reason why sometimes someone in my real life tries to argue with me about politics, and I'm like, "Ma'am, no, <laughs> I only argue in front of an audience." <laughs> I don't have time to score points with you on this one-on-one -on -one basis. If nobody's watching, I don't actually care what you think. <laughs> I do not have the emotional energy to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you right now. Let's talk about it on the internet. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that I think that that's fair yeah. to want to say that it matters more when you know when Lizzo says something like that. But but here's here's the catch twenty two. A lot of people will say this isn't that big a deal. Why are you bringing this up? Like why are you you know you're you're, you're being nitpicky. But, like, the fact that Lizzo just accepted the change so quickly and easily, you know, the, the flip side of, of this isn't a big deal is also why is it such a big deal for you just to, like, change a little bit? Yeah. No, I, I think uh, I didn't know all this until I brought it up, but I think it's great that, you know, she kind of just admitted, like, oh, yeah, uh, I guess it's a bad thing to say. I'm going to change it. Yeah. And to me, it's it, it, off as super interesting because 
I thought the internet was a lot more unforgiving. <laughs> mm, the only people who are still mad at her is this tiny niche corner of the internet where there's a minority of black people who are claiming that spaz is AAVE and that it's part of black lingo and that they should be allowed to say it, which the whole allowed thing, like truly everyone's allowed to say what they want to say. Lizzo could have kept her lyrics and you can go around saying whatever thing you want to say, but people aren't going to like you. (laughs) And if you don't care, if the people who don't like you don't like you go forth, my friend, (laughs) like everyone has the right, you know, Go forth. Um, do we want to listen to the beginning of the song? Apparently, it's right here at the front. Sure. I'm kind of curious. Bitches, um, bitches, um, um. Hold my bag, bitch. Hold my bag. Do you see this shit? Hold me back. I'm about to knock somebody out. Yo, with my best friend. She the only one I know to talk me off the deep end. Cause that's my girl. We codependent. If she with it, then I'm with it. Yeah, we tussle, mind your business. So, 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 That's my girl. We CEOs and dancing like a CEO. We about to throw them bows. Let's fuck it up. Where my girls, where my girls but i missed it i definitely did not hear it either it was at the big maybe she did it already change it was new she, she said hold my bag bitch hold my bag do you see this shit i'm a spaz it was like the first lyric but i didn't hear it maybe this is the new oh this launched june 10th no that has this has to be the old one regardless it's it's hilarious that a song that starts bitch 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 <laughs> everyone's mad at the words that's another thing that I, I was thinking about like, um i you know there's obviously songs from bigger uh artists that have said much you know worse things about certain groups of people but there's a lot of silence revolving that you know um, and i've always wondered why is that the exception well not to make this Moulin Chappelle, but that was the point some people were making. That even if you don't agree with any of Dave Chappelle's jokes and found them to be tasteless, which I don't think there's really an argument that they were tasteless, uh, that there is a conversation to be had about why people didn't object to some of the other tasteless jokes that were about punching lesbian women or generally being misogynistic or you know anti-black at some times. He's told like Asian coronavirus jokes in his earlier specials. You know why. You know, why is, does there seem to be some asymmetry about who, which, which, you know, which communities being insulted, we get mad at. And is it because trans people are more vulnerable in those other communities? Is it a fair comparison? Should we be even lining it up like that? I don't know. And that, and that we got into obviously that on the, on the podcast episode um, with Dr. Thrasher and Trevor Beaulieu. To give that a listen, because that's, that's also a big, a big point of interest for me is um, how we as a community decide what to kind of uh, be vocal about and what to kind of just be silent, you know? Mm. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think I do think that people went for Lizzo because she is someone who has demonstrated a desire to like do the right thing. I think there are other artists, like nobody would bother asking like Aesop Rocky, like nobody cares. <laughs> He's never held himself out as like being woke. 
So there is this irony where the woke people get held to a higher standard. And that's kind of like a microcosm for what's happening to liberals. (laughs) We're being hoisted by our own petard. That is, that's, to me, that's really fascinating is that the outrage is directed at people who are trying to be all right people Mm -hmm. and kind of just ignore people that don't care if they come off as terrible people. Yeah. It almost, it feels, and I mean, it sounds almost like a waste of energy to me. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. But maybe it's not that much energy. If the the people tweeted, Lizzo responded, the day day was saved, and now we all know about a new word that is offensive to some members of our community. And to the extent that anybody was ever talking like we talked in 1993, they won't won't do it anymore. So I appreciate you calling in, Dylan. Thanks, Bree. Have a good one. You too. Let me cruise on back to the back of this line again. I'm trying to go a little front back, front back, dabble in the middle a little bit. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. There was someone I was going to bring up, and then it didn't work out. I don't remember who that was, but let's go with Lila. Lila Olivia, you're up. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Lila wasn't ready. See, this is what happens. I go, if I go too far back in the queue, people, they're not prepared. You know, is this actually Shahid Buttar? What's going on, Shahid? Can you unmute yourself? (laughs) He wasn't ready either. There you go. What's on your mind? Should I see you're unmuted, but I can't hear you, and I'm not seeing your little circle light up like you're talking. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But if you get back in the queue, I'll try you again also. Um, Let's go with Lindo. Come on, Lindo. Third time's a charm. Oh. (laughs) Or it isn't. Is this an app issue? Because this many misfires in a row is a little suspect. Um... Oh, you guys both got back in line, so let me try again. Shahid? Can you unmute yourself? All right. Okay, I tried. How about you, Martin? What's on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree, can you hear me? I can. Oh, hell yeah. I did it. You struck out like four times. <laughs> I know. I'm feeling insecure <laughs> about it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm really nervous. I feel I've listened to all these call-ins, and now I finally, because it's an earlier time, this is the first time I got the call in. Oh, I'm so glad it worked um, out for you. What's what's on your mind today? Yeah, totally. Um, well, first things first, I want to just thank you for all the content you put out. I, I kind of feel like you've been like a – uh, you've been on a similar path as me, like five to ten years ahead. I saw you. I actually saw you speak at HLS. Oh yeah, when I was there uh, for the forum. You know, with Pete Davis. Yeah, with Pete. Love Pete. Yeah, I love Pete too. I'm actually pretty tight with him. Um, but we started a nonprofit together. Anyway, um, we got to get him on the podcast. I have his book on my shelf. I'm looking at it, and I feel like such a negligent friend that I haven't read it and asked him on the pod. <laughs> So thanks for the reminder. Oh, yeah. I haven't read it either, so I uh, maybe I shouldn't admit that in a public forum. He's going <laughs> to listen to this. <laughs> I hear it's very good. All the other current affairs people 
have been raving about it and I got it. I can't let there be a backlog because Vanessa's book is coming out shortly and oh, I'm going to have her on. I can't have Vanessa on before I have Pete. So yeah, I gotta you're going to get behind. Everybody's writing these goddamn books. <laughs> I got to get it Yeah, together. I know. I know. It's the curse of knowing all these overeducated people. <laughs> Industrious um, people. I'm having yeah, really right. Fun. Totally. Yeah, right. I haven't read one either. So, um, so I, in terms of, is it okay if I veer off the topic a little bit? I, I I don't want to derail the conversation. Go for it, Martin. Okay, cool. Well, I hope what I bring bring up isn't too annoying for you, but I uh, I hope to talk a little bit about China. <laughs> oh boy, um, I, Martin. Yeah, I know, I know, I know how I know how it is. But uh, the thing is, wait, 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 Martin. Are you going to ask me about something that I actually am qualified to weigh in on? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, well, it's more of a, it's a bit of a comment and then like your thoughts, but it's definitely something that like you're qualified to weigh in on because it's just kind of where we are on the left. And like, okay. you I guess have my, to, my thought is. You have till 518. Go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Damn. Um, yeah. So my, the thing that I get concerned about, I feel like we really brush off the China topic a lot. Like, there's like this, there's enough ambiguity there as to like what's going on in China. In terms, you know, you have people like Danny Haifong, right, that are like, the people who are the, I guess, pro-China people, the case they make is essentially that like, you know, for all its flaws, the like lefty utopia is being built in China. You know what I mean? Like uh, 850 million people lift out of poverty since the revolution. I mean, it's one of the biggest, at least in, according to their arguments, one of the biggest advances for humanity that's ever happened. And it's in the largest country in the world by population. And I guess I feel like on the left, like, like that's really important to talk about a lot if that's true. But there seems to be a resistance to like, like I feel like in that conversation with like the only one that, one of the only ones that I've listened to in kind of the more mainstream left with, um, Matt Stoller, it just ended up being like a, well, there's ontological questions that we don't agree on, so uh, kind of throw our hands up in the air. And it seems like, I don't know if your thought, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. I, I feel like there's a lack of intellectual curiosity, and it's a little bit kind of like just a Western bias, like, oh, there can't be anything that interesting happening over there, because, you know, if there were, if there were we would know about it. I think what it feels like from my perspective is that any acknowledgement of anything positive that happens in China is cast as an endorsement of authoritarianism. So it, it, and as a left that's already accused of wanting to, you know, what did uh, Chris Matthews say? Behead people in central park or whatever, you know, and have mm-hmm. people frog marching down the street. It, it, mm-hmm. it's like a credibility issue that I think a lot of people would rather avoid like, whatever. I don't know a lot about China. I'm not going to, I'm not going to nail myself to the cross of having to defend China when there's these other socialist countries and, you know, that I can point to and other historical examples I can appoint to like, why, why cast my lot with China? And I don't think it's, I think most people aren't necessarily unaware of or unsympathetic to or unappreciative of the gains that have been made in China. But especially for someone like me that has a relatively small amount of 
personal experience and knowledge, it does feel like it's the juice worth the squeeze of getting into talking about lovely things that are happening in China when it's going to undermine your credibility for this broader left project. I'm not saying that's right, but I think that that's the calculus. So even like I've been mm-hmm. on Rising and it's come up, you know, there's most people on the show are much more critical of COVID and the government's COVID interventions than I am. And there have been these moments where, you know, for what it's worth, I, I think that, you know, I will agree to that with them that I'm generally against. I, I feel generally more skeptical of mandates, but also unlike them wanting the government to have done more to make it easier for people to opt in to the kind of behaviors that would be likely to minimize the effects of the pandemic. So I don't want you necessarily force someone to stay home, but if you can give them the time off and give them paid leave and send groceries to their house, I see that as a good thing. And to the extent that China was operating more, had more of those programs in place and China was able to build a hospital overnight and China was able to do all these things infrastructurally, I wish America could do. I find myself often wanting to reference that, but also I'm aware that they're able to do some of those things because they can cut through the bureaucracy and just do the things. And how do you talk about good things happening in China without tacitly endorsing a kind of a less democratic system, especially when you're a leftist who's already vulnerable to those kinds of critiques? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I, I just think there's so little. I am hesitant to even know, like, are they a less democratic system? I don't really know anything about the structure of government. They have elections. Like Xi Jinping is getting ready for his next election. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm a little hesitant about like the characterization, and, and that's only because I just literally don't know. Because I feel like people don't engage. Look, in, like, I don't know either. Maybe I'm wrong. It. Maybe, maybe we are like the most propagandized country in the world. Maybe you know there was a study. I I mentioned it somewhere recently that um, I think it was in the Cory Doctorow episode that Chinese people perceive themselves as being at the top of the list of like, am I in a democracy? And Americans are like down at like mm-hmm. number 30, 30 something because their perception of democracy has more to do with, is the government working for the people and delivering on what the people want, as opposed to this very narrow electoral lens that we see democracy through, you know? And I don't, yeah. that's not like right or wrong. It's an interesting question. Would America be more democratic if maybe our elections were less fair, assuming that they are, <laughs> but if our elections and, yeah, were less well- fair, but our government was more responsive. Yeah. I don't know. Is that even possible to have kind of less democratic accountability, but more responsiveness from government? Maybe in a well, world even where even the electoral lens. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I... go ahead. Go ahead. But on the electoral lens in China, I looked this up the other day because I've been thinking about it a lot because I feel like I'm just confused about it. I looked this up the, de- up the other day on Wikipedia. The way I it describes their electoral system, not that I trust everything on Wikipedia, but I feel like the bias would go the other direction. They describe that there's direct election of like local representatives. Those local representatives then elect the next tier, like one region higher representatives, uh, all the way up until the national legislative assembly. Uh, so like to me, that, that seems just even on electoral level, like at least as democratic as, as we operate here. So that's, I don't know. I, I really, I realize it's like a it's a hard topic to talk about, um, but I, I worry that if like it's possible that like amazing things are happening across the world and that we're just ignoring it because I mean even like the Uyghur genocide thing like there was that big publication all these hack 
documents, supposedly, in the New York Times that was like looking through all these Uyghur detainees. At the end of the day, we still have more incarcerated people than. No, I hear you, but that all gets, I mean, that gets, you're accused of doing a false equivalency and, you know, how bad is it really? Look, I'm very sympathetic to that argument. I also don't want to find myself in a place where because I'm just deeply ignorant about what's going down in China, I'm making an equivalent between our prison system when people really are being frog marched to some concentration camp somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) And that's why I asked you, what was my my first question to you, Martin? Uh, well, so, okay, but wait, wait, wait a Mark, second. Mark, I hear you. What was my first question? It was, is this Your first question I'm actually you knowledgeable enough? Yes. Am well, I qualified well, to answer my question, question? Yeah. My question is not whether you know about China. Mm-hmm. It's whether, like, we should be talk. we should be trying to figure out more. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you have a thoughts about that. Um, well, Martin, I'm always going to say, yes, I think we should be trying to figure out more. That is our <laughs> epic quest together here on this podcast and okay. every other platform, a search for discovery. Fair enough. Fair enough. A continuing yeah, I mean, mission. You know. Wait, I've got a sound effect for this. Yeah. <laughs> to explore. Oh, which one is it? Oh, that's not it. I'm on that podcast. Nope. <laughs> ah, there it is. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Next Generation. I am? Yeah, totally. Because you talked about it on the podcast, and I was like, I never watched any Star Trek. And I was like, is it really a utopian society that they're living in? I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, like, I love when people say that to me. If that's my legacy on this earth, that there's, like, 50 to 100 (laughs) people who are like, man, I never would have watched Star Trek if I didn't listen to this one podcast this one time. I will yeah. die a happy birthday. Put it on my put it on my tombstone. <laughs> Here lies Brianna Gray. She evangelized for Star Trek. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's that's a good one. I'll, I'll make sure it gets on there. I'll, I'll graffiti it on there if you need if you need me to. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, Banksy. I appreciate you, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take okay, care. Cool. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll go. Bye bye. Thanks right, for having me on. Bye bye. Uh, All right, D. Oh, people are telling me I should go to Shahid. I'll go to. I'll come back to uh, Shahid after I talk to D. Can you unmute yourself, D, and let us know what's on your mind? Hey, what's hey, Bree? Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, what? I wanted to talk about actually because um, I I don't know if anyone's brought it up, but the Jank, um, what Jank said about you guys. Hmm. Um, I guess here's where I am. I don't think that you personally are with. I wouldn't put you compare you to the other three. But I think where he's coming from is there's a growing frustration, I think, from the fact that um, they're on the left. It seems like there's a lot of right wing framing with issues and whether it's talking about voters or individuals that that the left seems to target. It seems like a lot is motivated by an intense dislike of the Democratic Party. I mean, and and even if I just want to give a couple examples um, it's very disconcerting to me mm-hmm. the fact that like AOC and Bernie have come under more scrutiny from our side than someone like Elon Musk, who's bought Twitter recently. And I'm seeing people say, well, Elon Musk is the... Oh, he's is, trying to buy it. Or trying to buy Twitter. <laughs> but I'm just saying, though, like if a resistance liberal were trying to buy Twitter, some of the names on those lists, I'm not even including you, I think would have been a lot more forceful. And instead we see like, oh, well, Elon Musk is just a billionaire. And it's like, he's the richest man in the world. Why is there ire for AOC and Bernie and not him? And I think even with things like 
um, Tucker Carlson, I think it's fine to praise him and say like, he's interesting, but like there's certain. I didn't say it's okay to praise him. I've never praised well, him. <laughs> well, 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 I, I've well, explained his appeal, but that's a different thing than but, saying but, but, praising but, him. But but I'm being charitable. But I guess I guess there's there's a there's a frustration with like the fact that sometimes it seems like the left doesn't signal that it's still on, like it still wants progressive policies and wants to defeat um, reactionaries and and. If we're going, and it's especially frustrating to me as a Bernie person who voted for the man twice, when I used to hear those attacks from people like, oh yeah, he doesn't care about that, and the movement doesn't care about it, and it's like, it seems like that, it seems like we're constantly saying, well, there's a populist right that exists, and we need to work with them, or, you know, Fox News is better than CNN, or Marjorie Taylor Greene voted for this, and it's like, you know, or the student loan debt relief thing is not done perfectly, and, and it's like, that's all those things are well and dandy, but one, if Biden does them, it, are you guys going to support him? And two, well, he's not going to do them. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to do them. And he's, he's certainly not going to do them if we just sit around thinking, well, he might do them, but I'm not going to criticize the fact that he's two years into yeah. his presidency and hasn't done them, sure, even though he could sure. by executive order and could have done so on day one. Yeah, but I think there are people who who I think there are people who are good faith in that, and then I think there are people who are completely bad faith. Like the Afghanistan thing, I was very disgusted with the fact that he did the right thing and pulled out with of Afghanistan, and too many people on the left, like as he was being attacked, because that's when his approval started to go down. They didn't really cover for him and say, "Look, this was a good move." They kind of just sat by. Well, who like, did did they? Because I remember I, I don't specifically remember what everybody said, but I remember yeah. Kyle Kalinsky. I think. Um, definitely Glenn. I think Jimmy. Yeah. I think a lot of people were what, said this what, is a good thing. We're glad this happened. I, I actually do remember the left kind of rallying. I mean, yeah. we're not going to say Biden's great, but we will say this was a good thing, and it's good that he did it. Well, and we were making fun. I saw like the RBN guys making fun yeah. of uh, libs that were melting down over it. I mean, a lot of the left, frankly, attacked Marianne Williamson over some of her comments yeah. that suggested the pullout wasn't done in the best way. I mean. I, I do remember the left kind of rallying in well, support they're of the different. They're, they're, that's why I say they're different factions of the left to me. There's like the left in terms of people, like how I divide it is there are people like Abby Barton and Ben mm-hmm. Dixon, and I would say you, although like I would be critical of some of the things you said. And, well, you tell know, me which can, things. <laughs> I um, want to know. Criti- I, I would be critical of the fact that you said, um, you said like something like I was able to start a business because Donald Trump, Paul, Pause student loans or yeah that was said, a dope tweet what's the problem with that or, or it's true said, or when you that said was a I dope said, tweet my friend wait 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 wait, wait, wait. or when you what? said uh, when you said that fox uh new, no the kim iverson thing where you said fox news is like more hospitable to progressives than there was li- my my dude there yeah. was literally a fair study uh, ethic, like fair yeah. the news organization media media watch group that did an analysis of the composition of panels on cable news networks i talked about this with katie hopper way back on the campaign podcast i think yeah. in like 2019 2020 you can go find that episode and find the article that was cited that showed that there were more leftists invited to fox news panels than there were msnbc panels i am not that is not the same thing as saying oh fox is a great network i'm gonna go buy stock in fox i'm gonna try to be a fox news host that is not true all I'm saying is that the fact of the matter is, like, this is this is what happens. You say something. It, 
conservatives manage to get to the left of liberals on one issue and you point out, a person will point out that liberals are failing in that regard and people flip that into a compliment of the right. No, if you don't want, if you don't want me to say that Donald Trump pausing student loans is the best thing that happened to me in my life, then what you should do instead of yelling at me is to yell at Joe Biden to do something that then becomes the best thing that happens in my life, like canceling student loans or at least continuing the pause instead of being the guy who undoubtedly is going to be the guy who started student loan payments again. Yeah, well, but but I think I think the broader theme, though, is I think, though, there's, you know, and there's some people, like I said, like you, who who have been critical of the right, but there's there are definitely actors who I see and everything is critical of the left. And even even something as simple as framing liberals, and I think it's not positive uh, to frame liberals as sort of upper crust white people when there are lots of liberals who are like, you know, people who voted for Biden in South Carolina. And that's why he's president now, unfortunately. But I, I don't think those are helpful takes. And I see it from people like Glenn, from Matt, from, you know, where it just seems like everything, if no matter what happens, like it's always going to be, yeah, well, it's just a bunch of elite liberals. Like no matter what happens, like you can be a leftist and hate the theatrics of January 6th, mm. as I do. But it's important that the left, if it wants to have credibility with voters that are Democratic voters, says, yeah, what happened on January 6th was abominable and bad. So and- I... So, okay, well, I was going to say something and then you threw that last example. No. <laughs> Gen- generally speaking, I think that the the target should be the politicians and people in power, not voters. So generally speaking, if it's me and you're listening to me talk about liberals being elites, I'm not talking about somebody's grandma somewhere who's been a Democrat since 1964. Yeah. I'm talking about Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi yeah. and all the millionaires and billionaires that are in the Democratic Party. This was discovered to my radar today. All these people are rich. And the reason that they don't care about Elon Musk and all of that and Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk are throwing their arms around each other and joking about how he's got out, now got the African-American vote. What a putz. Yeah. But that that is because they're all rich and that's what rich people do and that's rich people's business sure. and I hate them all. Whatever. I... I, I, I'm not talking about voters and people got very mad at me uh, uh, shortly before I joined the Bernie campaign. I wrote an article for the intercept that was defending Bernie's choice not to call Trump voters racist. Cause I'm like, okay, they're racist, but like, I don't think politicians should be in the business of making those kinds of statements about voters. Cause you're, you're running to be president of all of those racists. So figure out a way, <laughs> figure totally out a way to that. talk about them in a way that's a little less essentializing than that. You yeah. can talk about bigotry. You can talk about prejudice. You can challenge people to be better. Of course. You should condemn racism, but getting up on a podium and saying, hey, you're a racist, I don't think is necessarily the job of the president of the United States of America. So shoot me. Okay. To your last point about 1-6, look, I, I did not like it. <laughs> I, you know, I was sitting there recording an episode of the podcast as that was all unfolding, interviewing Thomas Frank and asking Thomas Frank about 1-6 as we were literally re- refreshing the, the, you, the Twitter feed and looking at smoke billing off the Capitol. I was living down the street. It was bonkers, man. It was scary. It was ridiculous. And if liberals had done something like that, we'd never hear the end of it. And it's very frustrating that it doesn't seem to stick. However, there's a credibility trade-off here. At the end of the day, am I going to get caught up in a liberal media circus about something that ultimately is probably not going to affect votes? Yeah. People are struggling to put gas in their car and get to work and afford their rents, which are increasing at an incredible rate. Interest Mortgage interest rates are now doubled. You know, am I really – how much energy am I going to spend being forced to condemn one six and condemn Putin and condemn all these things? It's a kind of – rhetorical bullying that gets done to the left where we're forced to condemn all these things. It, it's like, it's like, it's like the famous debate question. 
uh, prove to me, you know, you didn't beat your wife, you know, putting someone in that position where they're having to defend their views and in the content, in the course of doing so, they seem guilty. But isn't that a political like signifier? Because like, like I, the reason I have such an issue with this stuff is because I want normie voters to say, okay, the left is a group that pushes Democrats to be better, but is still interested in defeating reactionaries. And I worry that the left at times doesn't come off as that group. And it comes off as just the nagging neighbor that has really no like plans for power. Like, cause I want the, I want the left to win and I want normie voters to associate the left with being a strong, similar to how, you know, normie Republicans abandoned. Let me ask you this, D. If we're really talking about someone like the the core of this coalition that we're trying to put together, what is their priority going to be? What What is going to make them like me and trust me and respect me more? The fact that I may be doing mutual aid and advocating for them to have a living wage and basic housing rights as a guarantee or that I invade against one six. I think they're equally important. I'm I'm sorry. Like I, I do. Like I think it's why like for equally example, important, my friend. Equally important to winning, though. Like, I think that, like, like for example, like, like when, uh, and I wanted her to win, but, like, when Nina Turner ran in Cleveland, we can talk about the dark money, but I think her column, comment about, like, voting for Biden's, like, eating a bowl of blank and not doing those basic You can basic say shit on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that hurt her because those are the sorts of things that voters want to hear. Yeah, Trump sought, like, even older black voters especially. Yeah, well, Trump sucks, and this is my improved, like, those are things that we can't, I mean, Nina Turner and I disagree. Even, black voters, we're talking about to... Biden in the general election. Black voters voted for Biden because he seemed to be electable, and Bernie didn't land his electability argument. That's it. That's it. It had nothing to do with anything else in establishment. That's the whole kit and caboodle. Black voters are 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 yeah, risk averse, no, and that's I it. Agree. With respect to Nina Turner, I, I respectfully disagree. I think that her half a bowl of shit comments were not the issue. I think the fact that they were misinterpreted in her candidate ran against her as someone who was against yeah. Medicare for all and against a $15 minimum wage and to her left lying with millions of dollars of DMFI APAC money is at the end of the day, what disseminated those half a bullshit comments. And I think that Nina Turner, because she did in her first race match her with respect to fundraising could have doubled down. To be honest, I would have advised her to double down. This I said that voting for Biden was like half a bullshit because the people of Cleveland deserve more. You've been under Democratic leadership for the last six years or however the hell long it's been, and the, your lives haven't changed because the people in power are funded by the very people who are making your life a living hell. And my goal is to go to Congress and hold Joe Biden accountable to his campaign promises and to the people of Ohio, not to be a yes man to him. And I happen to believe, because I saw Donald Trump won being defiant to the establishment, I saw John Fetterman win being defiant to the establishment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen it work that it could work, but the left so rarely leans into that kind of messaging. They'll say it a little bit, just enough to get them in trouble when election season comes. Yeah, I was able to get, yeah, I was get some of my black fam- family members to, to, to support Fetterman. So I hear what you're saying. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, look, this was Thanks fun. I appreciate call. you, D. I, I, I appreciate you making your, your case known because I don't think that you're alone in feeling the way that you do. But look, I, I am not someone who's ever called AOC names. I don't, like, I, I, I am sensitive to the fact that there are liberals who are listening to me. You know, I said earlier that I wasn't going to beat up on that person, um, the woman who loves <laughs> Warren, Angelica Ross. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to keep, I'm not trying to be, yeah. no, I, I, I don't want problems. <laughs> you know no. I mean? Like, that's not how I'm trying to be. No. Um, 
But I think there are some – you also have to realize that there's a trade-off with your credibility on the left too. And I said this to Nina Turner. Like if you if you try to play too nice, then you'll lose your base. And I think True. Republicans have realized that. They play to their base. And everyone else who doesn't really like the ugliness of that deals with it because at the end of the day, they're going to vote Republican no matter who. Yeah, that's true. And to be clear one more time that my, my criticism probably would apply more to like, if I'm being specific, like a door or a green wall than, than, than you, but you, you're the one who has the show right now. And he mentioned all four of you. So I just wanted to be clear before I hang up. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. I would love to, I, you know, I'm not trying to, again, start beef with anybody. We all have different approaches and we have different levels of appeal. You, people not like, not like door's approach, but door has an enormous audience because I think that the anger that he channels on his show is commensurate with the frustrations that people in the real world have and he's playing his role and maybe AOC is never going to go on his show and get questioned as a consequence and he can live with that but maybe me taking a more moderated approach it makes me lose credibility with some people on the left but at the same time I might get an opportunity someday to actually question the congresswoman about why she's made certain choices get on the record and achieve some kind of accountability and i appreciate everybody in their lane playing their own role and me personally it doesn't bother me i don't think that you know you can i think you can disagree with somebody without making these holistic claims about whether they are and aren't a leftist i don't think glenn greenwald has ever pretended to be or described himself as a leftist i don't think that's ever been his bag um and the, but that doesn't stop me from appreciating him enormously as a public intellectual, a legal mind, a writer, and all of the things. And that's the beauty of the internet. You can read what you want and take what you want and leave what you want and disagree. And I'm very grateful to have a platform where I can do that sometimes in person with these very characters. So I appreciate you calling in. And let's go. Is Shahid still here? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Are you still back here somewhere? Oh, there you go. Let's try this again. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Can you hear me now? Yes. <clears throat> Success. Yeah. This is fascinating. Listening to your call-in is like a graduate-level poli-sci class with a drop <laughs> machine for a syllabus. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll it's take great. it. <laughs> I'll take it. What do you, what's on your mind this evening? Well, I just saw – I mean, I, I came in because I saw a tweet about your title, actually. And I, I came in at a point in the discussion when you were discuss- – uh, there's maybe two or three – uh, callers ago when you were discussing this phenomenon. I'm not sure to what extent it was driven by Ryan's article, but it seemed at least to be on this theme of uh, to try to make a long story short, infighting on the left. Yeah. So this wasn't specifically about Ryan's article. For those of you who aren't familiar, Ryan Graham wrote a piece in The Intercept about how lefty organizations are really struggling to succeed because of there's so much in infighting uh, among members of said organizations and the ability to kind of do decision making and and work cohesively. Um, I the, our title here Shahid is more a reference to um, the episode of By Faith today, uh, which was about the Sam Adler Bell article about wokeness. I don't know if you saw that last week. I haven't yet, but I'm I'm, I'm on. Go ahead. Yeah, and also also additionally that. Um, uh, Cenk Uger of Young Turks made some criticisms of me, Jimmy Dore, uh, Glenn Greenwald, and David Rubin, characterizing us as the fake left. You know, obviously, I'm not I'm not out here trying to defend Dave Rubin, <laughs> um, but characterizing us as the, the fake left and arguing that we are the ones that are being divisive, um, etc. So all of the voices that are going at each other as fake, I think, is sort of are just missing the target. And I heard you discussing this in the previous discussion. 
just in the context of punching up and mm-hmm. where you focus your fire. And at the end of the day, like so many of these voices that are at each other's throats agree on a great many things. Mm-hmm. And most of these differences ultimately come down to strategic disagreements or tactical ones. And the mm-hmm. idea that that then lends itself to these ad hominem, you know, drag out, knock down, you know, tear out each other's throats arguments. I, I see that as frankly, a different dimension of the same pattern that Ryan describes, uh, you know, sort of like misdirected focus in some respects. And it yeah, does seem to me to be one of the principal threats, please. Yeah, I've, been, I've seen people attribute it to kind of um, the impotence of the left. Do you, do you think that's a, an accurate diagnosis of why this is happening? Or do you, do you put the onus elsewhere? I don't think of it as an impotence. I think of it as, as frankly, much more an opportunism for it remixed with an incapacity. So it's institutional incapacity to deal with individual opportunism. Uh, and, and this is different. I mean, my, my experience here is somewhat unique in that I had to deal with disinformation on top of all this. But one, if I were just to draw out a particular thread, um, when I was accused among the great many things I was accused of falsely, one of them was misogyny in the workplace. And there's a particular podcast, I'll just shout out if anybody's interested, called This Is Some Noise. The features of voices of my critics where they essentially admit that their own definitions of misogyny are idiosyncratic and they're socialists mm. and they have visionary utopian definitions. And by their definitions, I'm a misogynist. And because nobody ever asked them, you know, what are the behaviors or incidents and there are no incidents to reflect upon. And it's easy to accuse people of patterns without specificity. So that became the story and the inability of institutions to respond to the opportunism of individuals that will invoke effectively stereotypes. Uh, I think that's a challenge. There, there are legitimate grievances that people have in the workplace and those absolutely need space to be uh, acknowledged. I think that institutions that can't deal with the legitimate ones and get bogged down in the opportunistic ones, either or both, that's what leads to this institutional incapacity to actually forcefully advocate for the principles that we all at least claim to care about. I see yeah, a lot I of see... walking. Go ahead. Mm-hmm, I'm sorry. No, no, please. I see Rika in the chat saying, well, the conservative institutions have this problem too, and it's not unique to the left. And I wonder if it is a question of, you know, to the last caller's point, to Dee's point, you know, are we prioritizing our problems in the right way? Is the difference that the right is saying, okay, we have our squabbles, but at the end of the day, we're going to do what it takes to, Eat Democrats. Is there actually, because I've, I've heard other people say, well, no, there's not more kind of rhetorical discipline on the right. They just have more money and are, you know, their interests are more aligned with corporate elites. So they're better funded. And that's just, it's just that easy. And it's just that hard. I'm sorry. It's just that simple. And the left is twisting itself in, into knots to try to analyze and understand why we can't win. And at the end of the day, it's, the answer is just, we don't have Coke brother money. <laughs> So money is is a big part of it, but I think this is an additional vector of self-marginalization, ultimately driven by maybe a prioritization of folks coming up in holding institutions accountable to principles that they want to advocate for in broader society, but because the institutions become the target instead of broader society and actual like government institutions, instead Mm -hmm. of policymaking institutions and politicians becoming the target, advocates and movement organizations are becoming the targets for internal fire from within among people who I think want to see a brighter day. And, you know, we've, we've been unable to hold the system accountable. So I'll hold accountable what I can reach. And like mm-hmm. that, to, that part of it is an unawareness of 
location within the ecosystem, it's very easy to think about your organization as the authority when your organization, say, is advocating in front of a much bigger one. And it's really difficult to build things. And it's super easy to accuse, mm -hmm. especially when nobody asks you to back up your accusations with any facts or evidence. Right? Like, I'm curious what you really made of the, um, the New York mayoral. I meant to have... Um... Oh, uh, what's your face? <laughs> Sorry, uh, Morales um, on the show to do like a post-mortem. I don't know if you were following that race at all or what you make of how her campaign kind of deteriorated after it was kind of lifted up as the left choice for the New York right. mayor's race. Right. Well, and the, and the way that the left choice in the New York mayor's race kept shifting. I mean, that to me was the sort of like dominant thing in retrospect is how it just seemed like the movement couldn't settle on anyone. Um, and, you know, the same thing happened in Maryland. There was a congressional race there. I gather where a similar pattern just happened. And, and it takes me back to the when Alex Morse, you know, faced a similar thing that I didn't mm -hmm. like. This is a this is a pattern. I mean, I'll be honest with you that I, I would I don't plan to ever run for office again. You know, I'm, I'm grateful to be off this damn horse. Mm. Um, and I was honored to carry the flag while I had it. But I recognize, you know, this gets to another point in the discussion earlier randomly as it relates to the slot machine of your syllabus to the China discussion <laughs> when you guys were talking about like how democratic is the United States. Our democracy is ridiculous. I mean, the idea that the Speaker of the House can go 35 years without debating anyone, fill her pockets through insider trading the entire time, impede every progressive priority, kneecap her opponents through character assassination the one time she actually faces a threat. I mean, it's, it's preposterous. And that's supposed to be the leader of the party that cares about the people. I mean, give me a break. I got to tell you, when I think about your race and not just, I mean, I expect liberals not to support you. It's whatever. Sorry, D. I don't mean to come down too hard on liberals. Now you're in the back of my head. Like, am I being too tough on the libs? Um, but the fact that there never seemed to be a lot of interest from the left, even before the Me Too, like, the, or the, sorry, the, the misogyny allegations, however you want to characterize that. No, like, Me Too, too. They threw everything at me. Yeah. I, it, it was, it was curious to me it almost felt like as as i you know came became aware of your campaign i remember kind of looking around thinking okay i'm going to start seeing more about this there's got to be you know there must be some interest around this and i never quite i never quite understood why yeah it didn't seem like you were championed in the same way that even someone like summer lee like they're, they're these new people like you know prospective squatties that come up through the ranks and even right. amy Vieira. like i saw various people here and there get recognition and what to what do you attribute that the difference in electoral strategy between trying to pick low-hanging fruit and picking the most important one so to speak that's a justice democrat strategy what you're sort of alluding to mm -hmm. the summer lees and the amy Villellas and, and people who i admire and respect the strategy driving at least much of the national coordination behind their campaigns looks like this there are districts in the country that have high turnout there are districts that have low turnout if mm -hmm. you want to win a seat you got to mobilize voters so the easiest seats to win are the lowest turnout seats so let's pick those recruit someone and win those seats and that's mm -hmm. a low-hanging fruit strategy and it, and it worked to get aoc in yeah and you know and it's like i get it and you could win as many seats as you want as long as nancy pelosi is running congress it doesn't frankly matter yeah. And for me, like, I, you know, I don't want a career in politics. I've never wanted a career in politics. I just saw that my member of Congress was corrupt and a crucial part of the system. And somebody had to knock her the hell out of there. And, you know, I basically ran for a really tough seat and people 
don't walk their talk. Labor unions don't walk their talk. Mm. Progressive organizations don't walk their talk. I'll be specific. I ran before the character assassination. I was by that point running for three years. Mm. I'd been at every sunrise action. I'd been to mm. meetings. I could not get a meeting with anybody there. They never mm. once to this point. I'm the only candidate to sit in the general election for this seat to have ever supported the Green New Deal. And I could never, ever get a meeting with the Sunrise Movement mm. to even yeah. consider our endorsement. And that, to me, is abdication. When labor unions, when UFC, Oof. I'll make it worse, UFCW, SEIU, labor unions representing the lowest wage workers in our mm. economy, the most marginalized folks in mean, UFCW, they got organized around like Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez working in the fields, right? I mean, these are like, I had to get out of town this weekend in response to a death threat. And I, I had an opportunity to oh my God. witness. We can talk about that if you're interested. But yeah, I had a, you know, I saw a bunch of farm workers and it reminded me of like how their voice, their collective bargaining unit endorsed an oligarch who's frozen the minimum wage for over a decade while repeatedly engineering targeted tax breaks to fill their pockets. And like when you have labor unions, like, what the hell hope is there? Like, I, what what I kills me know. also, you're so smart. Like you're so informed. You have such a wide base of knowledge to draw from. Like you were so prepared. Like you were like, to me, you were like the, like the super fighter. Like you were our, our best. And it, it just killed me. Like I, I have my own biases. No okay. Like I'm hyper. No, it's it's just I'm true. I'm like choking up hearing you say that. No, but how many times have I had you on the podcast to talk about, you know, Section 230 or any other various subjects? I know I could have you on to talk foreign policy. I could have you on to talk, you know, um, in the internet stuff, privacy rights, law. Like, you, you know who you are. And it's just, it kills me because, I, you know, not every candidate is that way. That doesn't mean that, every, you know, the value of a candidate isn't that they have a law degree or able to speak to all these subjects necessarily. But to me, like you're someone who I would send into battle very confidently, someone who I you know, would love to see debate Nancy Pelosi, not just because I want to see Nancy Pelosi in a debate, because I know that you would excel. You know, you were like an accountability bomb that I wanted to launch in her direction. Obviously, a figurative bomb. Don't cancel me. Um, <laughs> I was just... seriously choking up right there, and I'm so grateful that you've been <laughs> That's what I aim to be. I feel, kind of feel seen hearing you say all that. You know, Thank you for saying that. Well, 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 it's true, and it just feels like a lost opportunity, and I completely appreciate why you wouldn't want to run again. But it, it also feels like, boy, oh, boy, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to make that – operate differently let me ask you a question how many uh people do typically turn out uh in the pri in the primary in san francisco in that in your district well in an off-year primary it mm -hmm. will be you know a quarter million three hundred thousand and in in presidential year elections you know close to half a million yeah that's not what did aoc win with like nineteen thousand or something two, yeah my win number was two hundred thousand in the general and we got 81 that was 2020 Mm -hmm. uh, but just to, to plot the trajectory here, this will make it clear. So 2018, I get in the race at the very end because, you know, I'm a nonprofit advocate. I'm not a politician. I'm just kind of like driven by frustration to run. Beat the rest of the progressives with 17,000 votes in 2018. That was the mm -hmm. same year Ocasio-Cortez ran in New York. She got mm -hmm. 16,000 votes. Mm -hmm. Her votes get her into Congress, minor third place. So I go home, come back the next year. Mm -hmm. Win the primary with 33,000 votes. 
makes me the only general election opponent Pelosi's ever faced from within the party. We get 81 that year, which puts me within striking distance. Now, this is after the character assassination. Just to be clear, absent that, and no one will ever, like, you know, it's a counterfactual, so I can't prove it, but we were on track to take the seat. Mm. there's a reason they came after me and she was conceding one policy after the other. We had support mm. at that point when you were talking about um, having not heard a lot about me. It was the key to that whole race was the, was the teachers union. And I was pitching the teachers union and the nurses union had already told me that they'd break for me, but they couldn't be the first ones. And so we were seeking local union support and they were the first ones that, and it was, came out of the LGBT community, which was the community I came up advocating for. Mm. And so that was the one that was basically weaponized to sort of like engineer all this. And the, and when I say this, I mean to say leaders of organizations that go to bat for accusations that are false to serve their careers at the cost of the principles that they organize around. And I saw that infect every organization that, in San Francisco that yeah. claims to stand on the left, every organization. One, one of the most depressing parts of this, and it's not just your story, it was part of the story of Force the Vote, is the way that labor leadership has betrayed rank and file over, over and over and again. Over again. And we talk the, so much of the conversation in the institutional left, and I don't mean that as it's as it's pejorative. I'm just trying to be descriptive. You know, in the kind of DSA, Jacobin, you know, yeah. kind of Bernie, Red Rose left is so focused on labor. If we just, you know, grow organized right. labor, if we just get these endorsements from labor. And then I've seen all of these moments now in the last two years in particular, I mean, I know everybody's been seeing these things and I'm new to the, new to the party, but in my personal life, I've been encountering all of these moments where it has been labor leadership. That's really st stuck the knife in the back of these moments for p political action. And we saw it in the culinary union with Bernie even. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it being told on one hand that the, the key to unlocking, locking left power is, organized labor and then seeing organized labor leadership do the opposite. It is, it's one thing to give up on electoralism. I, I find it even more demoralizing to think about the limits of labor organization for getting us out of this morass. Yeah. How do you think about this? I, I describe that emphasis on workplace organizing that you're describing. And, and I, first of all, I, it is the most encouraging movement in our political economy in the last, not even generation, but I think half century to see workplaces organizing from Amazon to Starbucks. I'm, mm -hmm. It's amazing. And it's not enough, particularly because it, it, it centers the role of collective bargaining units in establishing better working conditions, better wages for workers, safety conditions, all that. But it under regards the weight that unions have as independent agents in the political system. And ultimately, the way I describe this pithily is that the battle for workplace democracy can't end at unionizing. You then have to democratize the union mm -hmm. in order for the union to show up for the rank and file. Otherwise, the union's just being steered indirectly by the corporate bosses. That's what's happening now. So, yes, the union can win you better wages. The union can do better for you in the workplace. But until you take over the union, the union's still working for Wall Street. Yeah. Do you know of any other... Um... Maybe this is not the right question, but it, it, it strikes me I, it, that it is not necessarily – it isn't necessary that people organize in that way around workplaces. I mean you can imagine a world where people are able to 
you know, whether it's on a community basis or an ethnic basis or some other kind of regional basis, decide to get together and have, you know, a vote withholding campaign or, you know, to raise funds and, and do similar kinds of organizational work that people have done within the context of their employer. You know, is that an insane thing to be thinking about those kinds of options in the short term while we are looking at such a captured traditional you know, workplace right. organization structure. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Like part of this comes out of me just being so frustrated in 2020 that it's like every time I bring up like vote withholding, every time I bring up, you know, trying to extract a concession for your vote, I get, well, unions aren't strong enough. Unions aren't strong enough. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know that I care that much. Union, they're only like 11% of people who are in a union. Mm-hmm. Why are like, is there any other way to do anything else in the interim? I mean, I think what you're what you're pointing at here is like community level organizing, and ideally, people would organize across amount all the different dimensions that you occupy. So, like, yeah, I've got my like creative, you know, uh, spoken word poetry, hip hop, like public space reclamation crew, and that's a community I'm part of. And there's like the digital rights community and that set of crews that I'm a part of. And there's the uh, lefty anti-imperialist crews that I'm a part of, and I organize with all those different folks. And ideally, you know, we'd all be organizing across all the different dimensions of our various identities that define us. Part of the challenge, I think, is that people settle for, in the same way that they settle for lame corporate politicians as sort of like screens on which to project their various policy sensibilities, they, they accept organizations as big tents under which to try to fit their various aspirations Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would argue for a much more, frankly, in this respect, maybe anarchist vision of supporting voluntarily all of the different various things that inspire you. And I do think that that's sort of the key to building the base for a brighter world that we're speaking in a, somewhat in an opportune time. It was just this week, just like in the last day that they finalized the results. So I'm out of politics now. And so I have mm-hmm. a, you know, I feel like at liberty to say things I couldn't say a week ago. And so oh. Uh, I should hit Unchained. Let's do that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down to do it. I'm down to, as long as we're on that, I do want to say one thing, just thinking back about 10 minutes ago, you, you said something that was really poignant um, before you made me laugh. You said, you know who you are. And I got to be honest with you as having been a candidate and now being off the horse, it's like I, my principal personal struggle is exactly that to figure out who I am. You know, this role kind of eats your life. Yeah. And, you know, I, particularly driven by the threat. I just had like had to get the hell out of town. What's going on with that? It's the latest in the attacks and the character assassination. I was talking about the, the I'll get, I'll get really unchained with this. Dave Chappelle was right. And when he talked about the racism in the LGBT community in San Francisco, it is vicious, Mm. weaponized, sharp, multifaceted. I mean, I watched looking, so (laughs) (laughs) don't at me. Don't at me. Yeah. Yeah. If you want a real one, my, my real life story is worse than any fiction in this respect. Mm. And it pains me to, to reflect upon it. I don't, it doesn't bring me any joy, but there was another candidate in the race, uh, trans candidate whose whole identity basically was there to smear me, stole mm. my email list through my former staff who smeared me, tried to break into my house, did so once, and then threatened oh me with physical assassination <laughs> my, uh, in a text message. It was so many things. It was racist. It was myopic. It was something about tearing off my man bun and beating me to death with it. Which, in the first place, Christ. can I just say, like, what is the deal with guys with long hair? 
like I put my hair in a bun because it's cleaner. I could wear a ponytail, but nobody wants that. And so like I wear my bun to try to like be chill, you know, and like people are like, oh, he's got a man buddy, some kind of. You know, you like, have a cool look shit. Like also in, in San Francisco, people are upset at you for having long hair. Feel me? That's what I'm saying. I live at Hate Nashville. You know how long people have been dragging men with long hair? Who live in my it's corner? so weird. It's bizarre. And I'm just like, who cares about my fucking hair? Look, here's, here, here, yeah, of course you can say whatever you want. This is this is a free, this is a safe space. Look, I, I, what I want for you, I am obviously I haven't run for office, but I do remember the freedom you that should. I felt. And the, well, well, I'm about to tell you why I don't want to. Okay, because <laughs> it's it's what you're saying. Like I remember the feeling of freedom when the Bernie campaign ended, and I didn't feel like handcuffed particularly because I agreed overwhelmingly with Bernie's agenda. And there were very few moments where I felt like I ever had to take the campaign's line in a way that was very different from my own personal ideals. But still when the campaign ended, it was like, whoosh. And I really, you know, I, like I occupied my body again and I realized all of the tweets, I know people think that I tweeted too much and all of this stuff, but you have no idea what I was suppressing. We weren't allowed to tweet about Tara <laughs> Reid. You know, I wasn't allowed to say anything negative about any of the other candidates except sort of Joe Biden, you know, like our, we were really held back from throwing a lot of punches. And I, I remember the whole campaign feeling like I was more empowered as a journalist at the intercept than I was literally working on this campaign. It was wow. a very frustrating experience for me. Wow. Now, Still, in my capacity of whatever I am for a living, I, I similarly feel like, well, there are things I'd like Plot to say. Machine professor. A machine professor. <laughs> like, look, I'm a human being. Sometimes I want to say catty, stupid stuff about celebrity gossip and have a podcast like I used to with my best friend before I left the law. You know, sometimes I, I, I want to go low and scrap it out with someone who said something stupid on the internet. Sometimes, you know, like, and I, and I think, well, yeah, I'm like, oh, no, Brianna, like, you, your credibility is worth more than this. You know, you got to pick and choose your battles. And so even in this context where I'm self-employed and pretty free, mm. I still have that, you know, thinking, I'm thinking in those terms. So I know you must be feeling such a load off, even though I know there's disappointments and all that. And you more were such... relief than disappointment. It's like disappointment for the future, relief yeah. for myself. I kind of feel like it's everybody else's problem now. I spent well, the last few days, like, hiking and doing cartwheels on the beach so i'm just trying to like you know get it out of my system and you deserve that you deserve that and i hope whatever you decide to do next i mean you're such a resource to the community at large i know that whatever your next capacity is is going to be incredible but there's a real look i I was at a concert recently i know you have this other side of you that's musical and djing and all of this cool stuff i was at a concert last weekend and the the artist seemed very clearly leftist from the things he was saying on the stage. Okay. It was like a local artist in Baltimore. And I had the thought like, oh, this should be a political event. Someone should be tabling, not just selling T-shirts, but right like on. registering and like talking to people. Because this whole crowd is a crowd of like Bernie bros. You could just feel it. You could tell. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see you – kind of community build along those kinds of lines too. Right I, I, I love the creativity. I tell this to Katie all the time. I think that you have a special Katie Halper. You have what so many people in this space don't have. You're funny. You're a comedian. Like you are an artist. Shit. Like I, I, I really want us to lean into those aspects of the left because I think the right has appreciated better that people mm. want to be entertained. The cultural aspects beyond the politics and the ideas. Yeah. It, it, I hear you. I appreciate it. You, you honor me again. I reflect on that through the lens of like having, you know, gone to law school and written a bunch of things and done all this. Like it is literally the case that my street poetry is a better 
preparation for politics than is my law degree and scholarship. And that mm. is such a sad comment on our mm. democracy. Mm. <laughs> anyway, <sighs> thank you for having me. I love your show. Thank you for your voice. No, really look, I, I really appreciate you. We got to get you back on the podcast soon. Um, Anytime. Now it is after six o'clock. And there are so many people in this queue, including a lot of my faves. Guys, I'm not going to tell you you're my faves because then the people who aren't my faves are going to feel some kind of way about it. But you know who you are. Oh, look, there's a schnauzer. You know I want to. You know I want to call on you. Look at you. Oh, look at all you guys back here. You know I want to call. Oh, hey Brian. You know what? You guys know I want to call on you and be here with you all night. But you also know I got to go to this baseball game. I got to have boundaries. I'm trying to have boundaries. Do you know what I'm saying? We've gone for two hours. So I might decide to do a third bonus call-in this weekend if I feel so inspired, a little quick check-in. Um, make sure you're following the show so you'll get the alert if I do decide to do it, like follow the debrief in this app. Um, but in case I do not, I will see you all on Monday. Who knows what Monday's episode is going to be about because your girl's guest fell through. <laughs> but I will figure it out, and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Um, this play out song is an artist who I wanted to end this week's podcast with, but I forgot to tell the producer before he edited it. But it came up as uh, Erica Badu is the originator, apparently, or one of the biggest um, promoters of the word woke back in the day. So we are going to go out with this classic. Enjoy. You guys are great. You guys are great. Keep the faith. Well, if you don't pick your afro, and remember, you do all your chores before you go to one side high. Well, you said you was gonna take me to see Wu Tang, baby. Keeps turning. <laughs> oh, what a day!